Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. Jeff Crushell here. We're your weekly source for performance information. And I'm really excited about this week's show. Get set for a masterclass in player performance and player development. And while the theme is going to revolve around baseball as the Major League season gets underway and the minor league players report, make no mistake, this goes well beyond baseball and potentially well beyond sport. Whether you're talking about academics, whether you're talking about music, whether you're talking business, it doesn't matter. Anywhere people are trying to get better or you're coaching, teaching, or mentoring somebody to get better, there are principles, fundamental principles that you can apply to help help the process along. We'll be joined by crush favorite Dave Turgeon. Dave was drafted by the Yankees to start his playing career, spent a good number of years, decades, I think, in the Pittsburgh Pirate organization as a coach and manager, and he's now the head varsity coach at the IMG Academy. We're going to talk to Dave about the ebb and flow of player development and player performance. We're going to talk about some of the suggested rule changes that Major League Baseball is going to experiment with this year. Um, These changes are kind of designed to increase fan experience, uh, quicken speed of play, shorten the games, speed things up in general. But will there be ramifications that, that might significantly change the game and how we manage our players and how we play the game? We'll talk about that for sure. But most of all, we are going to look at the process of player development and the importance and the relationship of being a coach. There's an attitude and approach that you have to have if you're going to be a top performer at any level. Even if you're a weekend warrior shooting for a personal best, or if you're competing to be one of the best in the world, there is an attitude and approach that needs to be developed. And just like any skill, that attitude and that approach can be developed, taught, honed. But very, very few people do it alone. You need those people around you who can help steer you down the pathway. And there's certain people that are meant to be at certain segments of that performance pathway. And as you work your way along that timeline, you'll come across people that will help you along your way. And then you'll meet another group of people that will maybe take you to the next level. And then another group that will take you to the next level. And when you finally do sign that pro contract or when you finally do compete at the Olympics or whether you get that college scholarship, staying there is a whole other thing. And you need to surround yourself with people who have that kind of mindset. And then on the other side, on the mentor, teacher, coaching side, no matter what part of that performance pathway timeline you're operating on, whether it's young grassroots development, whether it's middle-aged kids, whether it's high-performance athletes, you have to have a big-picture approach. Well, at the same time, you have to have an in-the-moment attitude. 
You need to understand where these athletes are coming from and where they're at currently when they get to you. But you also have to understand where they want to go. And once you have that, now you have to, you have to hone down and help them in the moment. And that's a special thing. And the power of the coach, the mentor, the teacher, I think is sometimes greatly underestimated, especially from the athlete side. But when everybody gets on the same page and everybody understands what the purpose is, oh boy, that's when magic can happen. And that's what's going to come out of today's conversation. I have a really good feeling. So listen, let's cut out for a quick break here. When we come back, we are going to talk player performance, player development, coaching, and we'll look at some of the rule changes coming up this year in Major League Baseball. I think this is going to have a masterclass kind of feel. So get set. It's all coming up right after this on Crush Performance. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Questions, comments, smart remarks, get them to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance's email. Listen, we answer every single message we get. If you have something you want to share, let us know. If you have something you want us to investigate, let us know. We've dedicated segments, even entire episodes to your ideas. So do reach out. And if you are so inclined, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. All right, as promised, let's talk a little player performance, a little player development with Crush Favorite, Dave Turgeon. Dave is the head varsity coach at the IMG Academy. He was drafted by the Yankees to start his playing career and has spent a lot of time with the Pittsburgh Pirates coaching and managing. Turge, listen, thanks for joining the show today. I know it's busy times down there. Really appreciate your time. Crush, always a pleasure. Um, and I'm always looking forward to having any type of discussion with you. I leave, leave energized every time and I have my notebook open at the same time because I know you're going to drop some stuff on me. <laughs> well, I've got my notebook open as well. So touche, my friend. Ditto, right back at you. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because, Church, you know, you and I have kind of talked about this before when you were on the show, but but right now there's been some changes in the baseball landscape that take this conversation to an entirely another level, new level, higher level. You know, we've talked about the influence of analytics and statistics on the game of baseball. And, you know, that's something I don't think we've ever seen that kind of change that quickly inside of a professional sport. But now on the player development landscape, there is something that makes it even more intriguing or curious anyway. And that's the contraction of the minor leagues and the player performance pathways. Uh, and not only that, now there's new rules coming into the minor leagues this year they're going to be experimenting with, which we'll talk about. But have we ever seen a game change as drastically and as holistically as we've seen the game of baseball change? Let's say even in the last three or four years, it's been incredible. Yeah, I, you know, I, I couple of, you know, obviously change is another topic. So I, I'm, I am not opposed. Change is good. Um, I, I'm never on change just for the sake of change. That's the first thing I, I'm always in truth over tradition, no matter what um, things need to change and, and, and obviously evolve um, with the baseball side of things. When when you want to implement change and, and again, you, you know this better than me, you know, do you do you want to quit smoking, quit chewing, quit eating meat, quit eating, you know, become a vegan all in a week? I mean, it's it, you can't 
when you when you're going to implement change, I think there's always you're running the risk of too much too fast. Um, you know, and so if something isn't going to work out or several things aren't going to work out, I just think you're in danger of losing some good coaches, players, fans, and all of that kind of thing. I think, you know, the game is, it's a beautiful game, man. And, you know, um, you know, it, it, it does not need an overhaul in my opinion. Um, and I think some of the changes they're, they're trying to bring back are, you know, these rule things to bring back the game to what it, you know, was, and uh, which was a fast paced chess match, um, you know, without walk-up songs. And, and it was, um, it was a beautiful thing as you, as you watch these games, you know, on TV from the seventies and eighties, even the pace um, at which it's, it was played uh, was far different. All right. And, and um I think some of these these uh, shiny new objects that we've added to the process has, you know, brought the game back to a screeching halt, becoming, you know, focus has been on different things. We talk about analytics, talk about rule changes, talk about, um, you know, marketing, t- TV. All, there's just so many things kind of hitting it at these different angles. Um, and again, I, it's like this perfect storm, especially now during the COVID thing where, I think you know ownership and 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 um, uh, our 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 man Rob Manfred, our commissioner, um, have kind of leveraged uh, this time to to get more change in and 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 you know I just I don't always agree with with that. Um, again, I'm not opposed to change at all um, as as long as it's well thought out and especially at the higher higher levels. Well, it's well thought out and, and it's beneficial to, to everybody. Um, uh, but, you know, again, you could debate and, and have conversations about each one. Um, but I do believe that there's way too many changes um, trying to be adopted at one time. Yeah, it might be hard for the fan base, especially for those longtime fans of baseball who kind of love the game. Yeah. The game has been changing. There's no question about it. But I really like your position here, uh, Dave is um, that change is good. Change can be good. It's necessary to move forward. There's no question about it. Well, let's dive into some of these rules. Uh, I definitely want to talk to you about the return uh, to baseball in this COVID land. I mean, there are, there are players out there, our minor league players in professional baseball, for example, are coming back after a year of no baseball. And around right. the country and around the world, there's a lot of athletes that are getting geared up for spring baseball now that really need to take 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 care that they don't rush into this season like it was a regular one. Cause this isn't going to be a regular return to baseball after no, missing their, after missing an entire year, an entire season of competitive ball. Um, we're going to have to make sure we treat this return a little bit differently. Don't you think? There's no question. I, you know, and you know, you, you've heard stories of guys um, coming back from a year of rehab, even like to, to be away from the game. And this is a skill sport, right? Um, there's a feel uh, that's different, you know, for, for the game. And, and it's such a, it's such a rep uh, oriented game. It's played every day. It's, it's, it's one you have to experience all the time to pick up the nuances of the high level stuff. And um, I, I think that's the first thing. The second thing is the physicality of the grind. Um, you know, it takes uh, years of, you know, off season, in season, you know, out of season, you know, off season, in season, that cycle of building 
the body up to withstand that kind of attrition, that's another process that's been not really talked about, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some some uh, injury totals go up, um, you know, because you know, it's been so long since guys have asked their bodies to do what the game requires. And I think that we're going to run the risk of uh, some stuff, especially at the lower levels. Now, the big leaguers, they they had a somewhat of a season. But from, you know, 3A down, man, there's a ton of players, younger players that haven't had a year, more, yeah. more than a year. Right, right. Oh, you no. Know, a long, long period of time of cage work, gym work, get some ground balls, you know, just, uh, you know, doing stuff to work on skills, but really not doing what the game requires on a regular basis, you know. And you know what the game is. It's, it is a grinding game and um, from, all, from all angles physical, mental, all of it. And, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I cringe to think that there are going to be some, some injuries as a result of that. Yeah. Especially if people aren't taking care to return properly. We're talking with Dave Turgeon, head varsity coach at IMG Academy, long time, long career from playing to coaching in major league baseball and professional baseball as well. Um, Dave, your perspective here is really, really valued. I'm telling you that right now, that conversation about, um, the grind and the fact that it takes years and years to adapt to what I believe is probably the most grueling competitive schedule in all of sports. Even though you may argue it is a skilled sport to be on task and ready to go at the highest level of readiness every single day is a true, true uh, um, 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 grind in, in, unto itself. And here's one thing we do know, and you're right, this isn't talked about enough. We know that young players, young players in professional sports, young players in the developmental uh, pathway need more recovery time than adapted older players. And, and that sometimes is, is thought of in the exact opposite light. A lot of people yeah. think the younger players are fresher, they're more durable, they're not as broken down so they can handle it more. That is not the case. Younger players right. need more rest simply because of what you said. The older players have put in those years, they've logged those miles and their bodies have adapted. Yeah, their bodies have adapted. They've figured out what they need. Right. Um, you know, they they know thyself really, really well and how to prepare for that game at seven. And that is a ton of trial and error. That's years of doing it and, and you know, failing forward with it and having guys pour into them, educate them and, and uh, see what works, see what doesn't work. And, um, you know, aside from the buildup there, it's just, you know, understanding themselves and, and, uh, you know, is a big deal, man. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, cause you know, young guys, I, you know, one of the things I recognize about coaching, you know, young players is, you know, they do everything at a hundred miles an hour and, um, you know, it's like, okay, well, wow. I mean, I can't stop them from doing that today. That's, that's going to be another process you know, for me about energy allocation, right? So how, how do you, so what, and so effort level on things and when, you know, when we're doing, you know, what we're doing at what level we're doing it and, you know, just the you know, speed of the game stuff. But um, that, that to me, that scares me. Right. So, uh, you know, but again, that, that process um, has been put on ice for, a year, two, it's going to be two for some players. Okay. Yeah. Right. That, that have not been exposed, you know, to the, to the process. And again, you, you just brought up a, it's a, it's a hot topic for me. And, and um, you know, one you got to be aware of, and, 
Um, you know, the further back you go, the less awareness they have about it. Yeah, it's true. I remember you just brought up a great memory for me. Uh, we just broke from spring training. Uh, I was with the uh, head head uh, strength coach for the Blue Jays. We broke from spring training and we were opening in, in Toronto. And it was a beautiful day. The roof was open, the towers there. And of course, we had a couple young rookies on the team. First year in Major League Baseball. And uh, one of the guys was an infielder. I won't say his name because he is just such a great person. But but he was trying to get his head around being there. So excited. He had made it. It was his lifelong dream. But he made the big league squad that year. After a couple years of grinding it out in the minor leagues, very promising, a little up and down, but he, he broke with the club. And we're up in Toronto, you know, a couple days before our first game and everybody's getting ready. And he, it was like you said, he's going 100 miles an hour, excited for number one, uh, really feeling responsible for the position and the contract too, which I totally respected too. Uh, but he was going 100 miles an hour. And then, of course, uh, the media and da 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 da. I was overwhelmed with everything. I remember. Carlos Delgado. And if there is, you know, one of the great players I've ever been around, uh, Carlos just epitomizes just leadership and professionalism for me. And anybody who yeah. knows him, I think would agree. But I remember Turge after uh, it was a couple of days, I think it was a day before our opener. Um, and we're done our workouts on the field. We're heading into the weight room. The guys are going to the, to the training room. And um, um, I just walked outside to just grab some stuff off the field and there was Carlos sitting with this young infielder, just sitting on the infield, sun shining down on him, and they were just having a talk, just having a talk. Yeah. And I just, I walked away, I go, man, that is pretty cool. I wish I had a picture of it for number one. But later in the day, later, Carlos, you know, he would get his work done, and then he'd come down to the weight room after, when it was a little quieter. And I asked him what he was talking about. He said, no, I was just, I was just letting him know what this world, how this world operates. Just sharing a little insight and yeah. a little experience. How cool is that? But you're right. If Just you're young, you, you don't know. know. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's very cool. And that's also a part of the process, having those veteran guys put their arm around you and help you figure it out, yeah. um, you know, along the way. Um, but, yeah, Carlos Delgado, they used to, uh, you know, on ESPN when he would hit another bomb. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is a, is a class act, an absolute pro. Um, you know, for all the reasons you just described that story, I think that kind of epitomizes who that dude was, man. Yeah, for sure. Still is actually. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're talking with Dave Turgeon, head varsity coach at IMG Academy. Dave's been on the show a number of times, formerly spent uh, a ton of years with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates and really helped that organization uh, develop. Let's talk about some of the changes that we're seeing uh, in rules. Some of the rules they're experimenting. Speaking of yep. change, Dave, in the minor leagues, they're they're experimenting. Sort of each level of the minor leagues now has a new rule they're going to be dealing with. And let's start with the the new eighteen inch base. And it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. These changes they're trying to implement or just see um, how they impact the game. And I think one of the things they're trying to do is sort of level out the scoring and the home runs and all, and how the game is being played. But they're also trying to consider player safety and the tempo of the game. Um, the 18 inch base. So the bases are right currently 15, 15 by 15 right. squares. They're talking about making them 18 one to, mm -hmm. and with a non-slip surface as well to reduce risk of injury. What, what do you think about this? You know, you've spent time managing, coaching, player development, playing as well. Uh, three inches larger on the bases. What do you think? Yeah. So I think I like the, the non-slip surface thing. Um, I just think that, you know, when you're starting to change uh, distances, uh, that one particular, I think you're lowering the bar. Um, 
as you're trying to make a game safer, I think that's just, you know, you think about uh, the bang, bang plays over the years. I mean, that might be the difference of someone going or not going, um, changing, you're changing things. You're changing something. Um, and I like, I'm not on uh, lowering the bar of the game. I'm just not, that's to me is change for change. I, you know, at the highest level, um, the game is hard at the elite level. The game is hard. The margin for success or, or failure is so small. Um, yet I just, I don't know. I, I don't, uh, I don't understand that. Now, if you want to talk about doing it at the youth level, um, sure. You know, why not until they figure out how to do the footwork around the bag so they're not getting their Achilles stepped on and right. plays at first base and, you know, that kind of thing. I, I'm not, I, I'm not against that at all. Um, but the elite levels, I think, you know, there's that story about widening the plate, you know, how we as a society continue to widen the plate um, as opposed to leaving it 17 inches and mastering, you know, using that plate. And um, I'm not um, again, I'm not opposed to the safety thing. I the slip thing I'm good with the, you know, the size of the bases, uh, leave them. You know, it, we're pl- we're talking about. You know, the best league in the world. It's fine. We're good there. All right. right. So um, I don't I don't I don't get it. And if there's a study that shows me that they're going to decrease injuries by, you know, a percentage. I, I don't know. I Have they done that? I, I, I'm not aware of that. Yeah. Um, is there is there are there a lot of injuries occurring because of the size of the base? Um, again, are we throwing something against the wall, hoping it sticks, uh, seeing less injury? You know, we can, you and I know that we can trace injuries back to a lot better things or more obvious things than the size of the base. I, I'm not on that. Yeah. I like what you said there about um, mastering uh, the craft around that base, the footwork and stuff. So uh, that resonates with me as well, Dave. I really like the approach there. And if the goal and objective here is probably number one to reduce risk of injuries, but could there be a hidden agenda to increase the number of base runners? As you said, so many bang, bang plays. And trust me, Three inches doesn't sound like a lot, but in those bang, bang plays, that is a world of time sometimes. So I'm not necessarily on board either with fabricating base runners in in this type of a manner either. I'd rather see guys getting faster. I mean, that's that's what I'd like to see. My my thing too, Crush, and I'm glad you brought this up. um, You know, they're also talking about this pickoff change rules to increase stolen bases. Why are we lowering? Why are we taking? We're lowering the bar for coaches now. We don't have to teach the art of the steal. Um, you know, I don't understand why they're removing the art of the game as, and so instead put rules in that forces action without chess thought. The chess game is the that's the game at the highest level. The margins are so small, and the margins generally are. Uh, instincts, knowledge, intel that a guy has from from knowing his craft, right? So you're you're you know the guy that comes up from AAA that can really run, but it's not functional speed. He does not have it play out on the bases yet. He doesn't have to learn that art. We just allow that to happen. So I, I don't I I'm not on you know that to me um, that's really impacting um, the development in the game itself and the art of of knowing how to play. Um, you know, I, I, you know, we can't steal first, get better at getting on base and, and bunting and, and, and all of those things. But the, but the pickoff rules, what's wrong with the, the controlling of the running game package and having a pitcher have to master controlling the running game 
um, you know, and having a feel for when guys are running. And the guy at first knowing when he's going to run, it's based off of intel, you know, and, and who's on the mound and what's the situation, what's the scoreboard telling me to do, as opposed to pickoff rule that's going to dictate, you know, when I can run or not. It's just that, that whole equation of when to run, why to run, and scoreboard watching, all of our decisions are based off the scoreboard and who's on the bump. You're just going to remove that. I, I don't understand that. Yeah. Um, because it is, it's a, it's a, it, and again, I mean, and when you're around someone that knows the game and, and, you know, running and stealing and, and, and how to and CRG, a guy on the mound that there's nothing more awesome than watching a cat and mouse between hitter, pitcher, hitter, base running going on at the same time, two on one. Yeah. And the, and the pitcher that can hold the ball, have poise, execute a pitch and control that guy at first base it's a beautiful thing to watch at the highest level it's awesome you know and i and again when do you start teaching that the lowest levels you start teaching you start teaching it so when they get there they have a a feel they have a foundation for the game and the chess match right the rule the rule changes that they're experimenting with and whether they make it to the big leagues or not it remains to be seen uh, but in, I think if this is in double A, uh, there's two pickoff rules. The pitcher can now only uh, attempt twice per two pickoff moves per plate appearance. I believe that's the ruling. And there has to be a complete step off of the rubber before throwing. So now it's a step off and throw, which is going to probably mess up a lot of those unbelievable left-handed moves. So I agree with you, Turch. Like this is, I, I don't understand it. They, they're, they're trying to increase the pace of play, the time of game. But listen, that base runner, a good. There is nothing more disrupting to a pitcher catcher combination than a base runner that's a threat. And now, Amen. if you can only step off twice for the base runner per at bat or per plate appearance, you're eliminating that threat. Like, amen. Like, so, so the 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 idea. So, look, the analytics will tell you that base uh, base stealing. Uh, there are too many outs. All right. On the basis, they have the the algorithms that that come out to these uh, conclusions that uh, the risk reward not worth it to steal bases. Right. So um, here's what they they miss. They miss that you just hit the point. Give me the algorithm that talks about how just the threat impacts this pitch pitch execution in the mound and getting fastballs for your big boys to hit. Right. Or, you know, the two on one, there's an algorithm for that. Okay. And baseball people understand that is the pressure of the game applied to the opposition in order to get pitches to hit. Um, And then picking the right spots um, and creating that seed of doubt in the pitcher's mind. And all of a sudden, the impact of the guy who's throwing the fingers down changes. Well, I know he's running. I really, I'm going to go fastball away, even though he knows that's not the pitch in sequence. Right. Right. So but the but that's the game, you know, that is the game. And um, I, I, I just I shudder to think that we're trying to remove that that part of the game. And look, you're not going to tell me that the Ricky Hendersons of the world aren't impacting the game and more with with, you know, 90 bags or 50 bags, you know, in, in just the other. 500 plate appearances where he may be on base or maybe not just the thought of him getting on base is impacting 
the pitch selection and all of that stuff, right? So oh. that that to me is where there's the disconnect between yeah. the analyst uh, and in you know on paper, yeah, right. That's what it looks like. But here's really what it is. Let's go. Let's go a little deeper than your stat, okay, and your algorithm. And again, I am not anti analytics, but I am if you can't prove to me um, that it's better, right. How oh, is that better? Ricky um, Henderson. And, uh, Ricky Henderson was a true dis, just a disruptor out there, man. He, oh, he it's just amazing. He, he was like a, he was like a free radical out there, just causing chaos, man. Because the yes. pitcher was on edge, the freaking yes. catcher was on edge, the the infielders were on edge because they knew there was a base deal, there was a base that's going to be stolen, and there's nothing yes. they could literally do about it. Cause he was just yes. so good at it. And that's, that's one of the things that we could be taking away here, which scares the yeah. crap out of me. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to see that. And no. I, I really want to see us get back to um, developing those skills in order to pl- apply pressure to the opposition, as opposed to, you know, selling out to getting the ball in the air at the plate and selling out to either punching out the hitter or walking him. Yeah. Um, but to get back to the art of the game and base stealing and base running is a huge piece, um, you know, of that. Um, and really, you think about the Cardinals world champions with the Herzog back in the day was done with pitching defense and speed. Right. Um, they had one bopper. It was Jack Clark, um, you know, and but the rest of it was just wreaking havoc and pressuring uh, the pitcher uh, and their defense because of their speed. You know, and that's aside from the base stealing. And and um, I, I will never I, you know, I know this. I'm convicted in that. I've experienced it. Um, uh, I've experienced it on the mound and as a position player. And it's uh, it's real. Yeah. All right. That, yeah. that that pressure on the opposition is real. And there's no algorithm that can tell you what it is. But it is very, very real. And it's it's palpable when you're in it, man. Yeah. Right. Such good stuff. It's just fundamental player development have to really think big picture here all right everybody we have to cut out for a quick break but when we come back we'll continue our discussion looking at the rule changes in major league baseball how they're impacting or potentially going to impact the game but also how they might influence player development more with dave turgeon right after this on crush performance stick around this is Crush Performance. If you have questions comments or smart remarks write to us at crushperformance.com And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Hey, listen, want to reach out to us? Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dave Turgeon, who was drafted by the Yankees to start his professional playing career. Long time Pittsburgh Pirate and now head varsity coach at the IMG Academy. Turge, thanks for hanging on over the break. We are just talking about some of the new rule change experiments that are going to be happening in minor league baseball this year. The One of the other rule changes that are happening um, is the restriction on the infield shift. Now, they're not restricting uh, restricting lateral shifts uh, left to right, so you can do whatever you want in the infield, but um, a player must have a foot on the infield dirt uh, before the pitch is thrown, I believe, is the, is the rule. So we're, we can no longer have infielders back on the grass or acting as a fourth outfielder. Just your thoughts about that one. 
So again, I, I'm not on that rule at all. Um, I look, I think there's look, they've been first of all, shifts have been in place since Ted before Ted Williams. I mean, we've got we all know that this has all been in play. Um, again, you're removing your again, you're you're gonna lower the bar, and so the, the hitters don't have to make the adjustments. We'll just make a rule so that they don't have to make this adjustment and expose the defense. You know, and at the highest level, I think if they just allow it to continue the shifts. You're already you can already see on highlights of players beating shifts on purpose, you know, moving the ball around the field. So let the game let the game do it. Let the game clean itself up, you know, and you're not going to you're not going to clean the game up. And if it's if it's less appealing, then let's show our hitters how to beat it. Uh, you know, and again, and that's that's what the elites do. They take what they're given and they beat you. But I don't. I'm not on that change. Um, I I think that's something that should be left alone. I agree. I agree, and I'm so with you. I am a firm believer that our hitters have never really been forced to become pure, per- perfect, all around hitters because you know they hit the ball over the fence, which is great. Power hitters is a place for that for sure. But being able to you know strategically hit a ball away from the shift. That is a craft that is going to have to enter the game. I love the concept you just mentioned there about the game taking care of itself. And and I do believe that's a trainable attribute because you're right. We're already starting to see hitters that didn't do it before make adjustments in their hitting to beat the shift. And I think that's the way to to, to play the game. Hitting and bunting, uh, by the way, even, you know, with, with, you know, guys, um, uh, that wouldn't typically, you know, do that, but if they're going to give that to you and, you know, we're chasing runs on the scoreboard and we need base runners. And, you know, you've seen power hitters just drop down a late sack and take, you know, take their knock and, you know, start the rally. Right. So yeah. um, I think we should see more of that. And I think they would. I think they would. And, and you know, because, you know, ultimately managers and, and uh, you know, guys that are, you know, teams, they, they become say how, you know, we're losing too many games. Why are we losing? I think one thing we can do is, uh, you know, we can start training our hitters to, you know, work the field, do more bunting, get back to the game, man. And the game, the way the game, you know, was, was meant to be played. I do believe so. um, Again, there's, there's some things that, you know, uh, you know, getting cleaned up uh, with rule things, a pace of play thing. I, I'm on that. I don't know when all of a sudden it was 25, 30 seconds between pitches. I, you know, when you watch games, you know, even into the 90s, the old adage of get it and go on the mound was real. And, and you know, it, it, it's it, there's a pace to play. Um, you know, and then the cat and mouse of that's a little too fast. You call timeout. That's a little too slow. I'm going to quick pitch you. That's another part of the game that was taught. Um, but it was, you know, it was never uh, an issue of a, you know, 25, 30 seconds between pitches. I mean, what are we doing? Um, so the, the clock of the 15 second clock, I'm all on that. I, so the guy doesn't get his favorite part of the walk up song. Maybe um, he's got to get in the box. Um, I see guys after a pitch, uh, hitters even going around and taking, you know, 12 to 15 seconds because they're doing something. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, actually. It, but w- w- when I when I was playing and, and then even managing, I always felt like, you know, when pitchers were taking longer and longer between pitches, I, we always felt like he wasn't prepared or, or he didn't really know what he was doing. Um 
you know, are there times when he's got to go back and grab the rosin bag and reset his head? Sure. Um, is there a time when a hitter has to step out and reset himself to get a good pitch to hit because he just took two bad swings? Absolutely. You know, I'm not, I'm not eliminating the game that way. I'm just saying is that the pace of play has become something that's made it hard to watch. And then you have the replay thing, which was supposed to save time, but has ended up adding time. But, uh, the get it and go thing I think is real. And I think that's a form of pressure on the hitter. Um, and, um, you know, when, when everyone's allowed all this time, there's like, there's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird, it's a weird game, you yeah. know? Um, but the pressure thing, what we talked about earlier, you know, pitchers used to be able to pressure the hitter until the hitter stepped out and said, Whoa, man, I'm controlling this tempo. Right. And that was part so, of the battle. That was part of the one-on-one -on -one battle that we just love so much. That mouse right there, man. Yeah. Raising the emotions of the hitter to make him chase. Yeah. Um, you know, all that. Hey, Turge, not only that, you know, you look at the greatest pitchers. Let's go just back. We took a walk through through um, Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame. If we looked at like the Cy Young Award winners, I think we would probably find, and I'm just pulling this off the top of my head, but I was just, as you were talking about that, I'm thinking back to all the great pitchers that I can remember. They had unbelievable tempo. They weren't horsing oh, yeah. around out there. They did step off when they needed to. They were playing cat and mouse for sure. But the other side of that, and I remember uh, Roger Clemens and Pat Hankin talking about this behind the scenes. Hey, just keeping their infielders fresh, keeping their infielders on task, yeah. man. You get yes, out there and yes. you're a human rain delay. These guys, that no drags doubt. on out there, man. Yes. Yeah. The ability for the infielders and outfielders to show up every pitch, it really is dictated on strike throwing and tempo and pace. Yeah. It's just it's it's just too hard to show up 150 pitches a night if it's so long in between. Um, that's hard, and then do it every night. That's exhausting mentally to be able to do that and be really be present. Um, you know, and and again, I, that's you hit upon a very important piece, and I still preach this to uh, my young arms. I said, look, you know, pitching to contact is a good thing. Uh, pitching with pace is a good thing. Um, all, all of that stuff, you're developing trust and you're also engaging your defense. Um, even if you're, you know, punching guys out at a record pace, if the pace is good, then so is their attention span. Um, yep, exactly. You know, and that goes, that doesn't go, go for young players. That goes for all levels, man. Yep. Yep. And, and it's great for the, and you want to talk about pace of play there. It is right there. So, so that, that is a great conversation as well. Okay. This one I've been waiting for, this will be our last sort of rule change we discussed, but I, I, this has been a fascinating conversation for me. So anybody involved in baseball, even in sports, uh, there's a lot to take away from this conversation. So, so Turge, I want to thank you for that for sure, but you've managed under these conditions. Now, now listen, I am a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, blow up, shoot him up movie fan. Uh, Terminator is one of my, you know, favorite movies. I can remember just the whole concept of robots taking over. Listen, AI is coming. It's already here and it's going to become more advanced. But now we're potentially talking about the robo ump. Um, in the minor leagues this year, they are testing uh, balls and strikes being called by an automated system that's going to send yeah. an, uh, uh, an audio signal to the home umpire. The umpire will still be there. He's going to get a cue of whether the ball was a ball or strike. He's going to call it. Uh, you worked under these conditions as a manager in the Arizona Fall League, uh, Turge. Just wondering what your impressions are of this uh, in terms of, I guess, just the game of baseball in general. So in, in fall of 19, I was managing the Peoria Club uh, in the Arizona Fall League. And every time I went to Salt River, 
um, they were using the the uh, technology, the auto auto zone or whatever you'd like to call it. And um, they were actually, so one of the other complexes was under construction. So they were sharing. So we played double the amount of road games at that particular park. So almost, almost half of my games were, you know, under this uh, auto um, auto zone thing. And a couple things, a couple things that, that I saw one, it did clean up a lot of the chirping uh, in the dugout um, you know, by, you know, by both hitting and pitching coaches that love to get into it from pitch one. And I get, I guess that whole, uh, that's a whole nother chess match to, to talk about. Um, hitters, you know, they, they were, there was less chirping, you know, when, when that, you know, when they were doing their thing, the thing that I, I, you know, that was troublesome about it was uh, there was this delay pause after the ball was caught and everyone's sitting there waiting you know, for this uh, call and, you know, when guys are working on the edges of the zone and it's higher level, you know, it's a three, two count. And it was just, there's this long pause and then the ump would either ring them up or ball four. So there was this, the timing thing, I guess, maybe, I don't know if that definitely needs to improve if it hasn't. The thing that the thing that's disconcerting for me is, is that you're, if you eliminate the human piece of balls and strikes, then now you're changing the position of the catcher, right? So where it becomes, he doesn't need to master the art of receiving. He doesn't need to master the art of the relationship with the umpire. The pitcher doesn't have to master uh, the thought of what's the umpire's zone today. And I need to use that. That is all art of the game that I love. I've always loved that part of the game. So now you change the position and may become now we're just going to put anyone back there and he guy can knock it down and pick it up when it stops rolling. Or, uh, you know, you've got you, you draft differently for the position. I can draft a bat and, you know, teach him how to receive, you know, in a sufficient way. Uh, because, you know, we don't really have to worry about the other thing of the stealing because that's getting controlled by the new rules. So, look, I, I, I liked it in one sense where you knew it was a fair shake. You know, there were very few mistakes. Um, but you're, you're changing the dynamic and the position um, to something very, very different. All right. And and now, you know, you look, the catching position, arguably the most important place on on the on the field and the guy that can prepare game plan um and really receive and make counts one and two instead of two one because of you know his reception skills i mean that is that's a big deal right oh, yeah hey, yeah hey, I mean, hey. it's a big deal and it's just the, the guy that can work you know the umpire so that when you know when push comes to shove you're not he's not going to miss that big pitch for you all right um, when when your pitcher is out there going palms up on the on the on the ump, you know the good catcher is there to smooth it over and say, hey, you know, I'll go out there and talk to him. I got it, Joe. You know, and don't worry about this and you know that that whole thing. Uh, it's a different. This is it, it is really the ripple effect of that is pretty huge for me. Oh gosh. Church, sorry to interrupt you there, but you had me. You you got me fired up because because I'm with you. That's another part of the game. That's so coachable. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I love working with the catcher. Actually, I love every position. Every position has its beautiful, you know, uh, intricacies that you had to work on uh, from yeah. my perspective, working with, with the players for, from in the batter's box to the infielders, to the outfielders, pitchers, but the catchers are special, special animals, man. They really, really, right. truly are. 
And hey, you were part of maybe what, what's, what's for me. This is just my opinion. One of the most incredible catching phenomenons I think that baseball might have ever seen. You were there through the Russell Martin years. And I remember yes. his ability to frame that pitch, his ability yes. to build those relationships with the umpires. But his yes. war, his war ratio, I think, was the highest in the history of baseball simply because yep. of how he manipulated and got strikes, man. And, and, and that's yeah. part of it, right? I, and that was fascinating. Yeah. You were all part of that. Yeah, no, and and you know that. So he he was the real deal too because the way he managed our guys on the mound and the way he called games and the way he played the game with such an edge and the way he ran the clubhouse, um, which you know nobody really talked about, but one of the biggest reasons why we won was because of how he he ran our clubhouse and held people accountable and all that stuff. But I, you can't deny like his. His ability to run a game, get the guys best, use the guys' weapons to get outs, make pitches, um, you know, just make advantage counts as opposed to disadvantage counts. It was remarkable to see. Um, we, you know, and we were we were aware of it. And, and when we, you know, when we signed him, um, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't know how much impact that could have until I actually saw it, you know, day in and day out. Who what knew? a complete Who knew, package man? that guy like, is. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a complete package guy, man. And, oh. you know, and then, you know, obviously uh, he's the offensive side of things. He was, you know, he was a guy too. So, but, um, but uh, his ability to do, you know, the art of catching and relationship uh, building and spending time, uh, you know, that even when the guy wasn't, in front of them, they're spending the time in the clubhouse, off the field with guys to know them better, know how to push their buttons, know how to can control them, get them back on track was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I don't want that part of the game to go. I just don't. I don't want that. I don't. Yeah. I don't want, you know, we had Ken Huckabee was one of my favorite ones. Darren Fletcher was another great catcher that I had a chance to work with. And I remember sitting on the bus or on the, on the plane with them and they would talk about, Hey, who's up in, who's up in this next series? You know, who's up in yeah. which game? And they would, Part you know, of the prep. yeah, and they would know these guys personally. And, you know, they all have their own quirks, the umpires, catchers, players, managers, coaches, they all have their own quirks, but, but they're all, they, it was all about relationship building. And those guys were psychologists above being catchers and, and, and baseball players. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. It's uh, again, I, I, I use it. I've used this word over this line over and over again, and I just see that you are lowering the bar on an elite level game, not opposed to change. I, I, I'm not. There's some of them I'm, I'm on, um, but there's some of these in our discussion um, that you're going to really have to convince me otherwise. On. Yeah. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm working my way through it like you are and like everyone else is. Um, those are my initial thoughts. Nope. Great thoughts, Turge. Really, really appreciate that. Hey, I, I know, I know we're pressing you for time here, but we're going to hang on if you're okay. Uh, Cause I got another thing that, that I really do want to get, get uh, run by you here. And that's the other massive, massive change we've seen in, in professional baseball that is going to have a ripple down effect. Like this is going to have a ripple effect that I, I can't quite imagine yet. And maybe I'm being a little dramatic here, but uh, this is a massive change that we probably have never seen in a sport before. Uh, the contraction of the minor leagues, the elimination yeah. of 42 minor league teams, over a thousand players, not to mention the coaches and the staff and everybody involved around those teams. 
Uh, but over a thousand players are now going to be looking for places to play. A thousand players that would normally sign pro uh, are going to be looking for places to play. This is a dramatic change in the player performance pathway. And it takes me back to our earlier conversation today, even and something that you said that was very powerful. And I hope our audience picked up on it was the time it takes to become a pro in this game. And that was one of the intrigues that I've always had with the developmental model in baseball is having all these levels of development. You could almost develop a, a, an internal mini long-term development program for your players. Um, and, but that is now being cut short again. I'm still struggling to, to, um, uh, to make sense of all this and, and try to understand what it means. But you said something, Turge, a few weeks back that, that I've mentioned on the show a couple of times already, and I'm going to say it here again, and then I'm going to hand it over to you. You said, okay, look, and we were talking about kind of this developmental pathways and how we're trying yeah. to cater to the players. And, and it might not be the best thing. You said, are, are we trying, um, are we preparing the player or are we preparing the pathway? And that, that hit home for me, Turge. I want you to know that. And, and so I'll hand it over to you from that. Look, I, I, I don't agree with um, the commissioner controlling uh, how many teams a, 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 an organization can or cannot have. I think that each organization should be left to have and develop their own, you know, player development system as they see fit. Um, that said, I, I was a part of a really good player development system. And my last few years at with Pittsburgh, I felt like we were overextended in the amount of teams that we had and um, that we were putting players maybe in a, not the best positions to have success and coaches uh, not in great positions. Maybe they weren't ready for a spot, but because of the amount of teams we had, we had to put a coach in a spot where maybe he wasn't prepared for. Right. So I think that when you take a small market like we were and are still, um, you know, that trimming the fat and becoming better um, and a more solid, healthy organization is a good thing. So I think there are some some guys or some organizations that it's really going to help. So why be really average or below average at five spots or six spots at a ball when you can be really solid at three spots? All right. And trim fat of maybe players that need to go either somewhere else or do another line of work or coaches that should maybe be coaching or, um, or not ready. Right. So I think, I think there's a benefit to that because I've always believed that winning is a part of development. And if you're, you're at six different spots and you don't have a chance to win in six spots, then, then we're missing out on championship behaviors. And, and I think, you know, you know, and I know in the game of baseball, if if winning isn't a part of development, there's a couple things. When do you start to learn how to win baseball games? And the big leagues, not. Nah, it's too late. You got to learn how to win championships from day one. And part of that is learning what championship behavior and championship behavior baseball looks like. That's an that's a that's hands down. And we're not talking about the process. We're just talking about the idea of championship behaviors and championships, right? And how winning is a part of development. Now, obviously. You got to nail the process to do all that. All right. I get that. The process is, is the, you know, the focus. So that whole thing, you know, I just, again, for, for the, for the pirate organization, I believe is a good, thing. I think, you know, trimming fat and being more healthy and productive and competitive at different levels is going to create more winning. And the, the other piece of the winning thing is morale. When you're, when you're in a, you know, 142 game cycle, the hamster wheel, look, if, if you there's some there's some coaches and you will understand this as well as anybody. Hey, 
you're you're always a win away from from being back on track and feeling good again. All right, driving that train, you got a little positive energy flow going into your day. Um, you know, there ain't nothing like it. And there's nothing worse than you know, hey man, just like we just dropped seven in a row. Uh, you know, we're just waiting. You know, we got no chance. We're facing this guy to not. You know, just the the incredible mind game of winning. Uh, versus losing and being super average at six spots as opposed to really competitive and playing for championships and rings at three spots. I think there's a lot of value of playing for rings every year. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, coming up with the Yankee organization, I think Steinbrenner came and, and um, you know, he, he his thing was you, you guys are going to have rings on your fingers, several of them, before you get to our big league team. It's all about winning championships. Now, Again, that that thing, that mantra, how does that impact your process? Got a little more focus and intent in your daily work? Sure it does. Just raise the bar. That's the expectation, right? And so that's going to help the process. And the people that talk about, oh, well, you know, we're not going to talk about championships and winning all the time. It's focused on the process. But look, the messaging impacts the process. Okay. And and I have no doubt. And then the other thing, you know, is, is um, you know, the coaches that are aware of that. All right. They, it raises their bar. So um, that's where I am on a contract. I just think, you know, look, there is a point when if you're not competitive in all these places, then you got too many teams. And I think but obviously I think that should be left up to the organizations. I don't think, you know, you just need to go ahead and, and, you know, because you're impacting communities and, you know, and people that made their livings in these towns. And, you know, that's a huge thing to just you know, to whack 42 teams, that's a really, that's a hard one for me to even swallow. Um, I, I, you know, I do believe that if you left it up to the organizations that, you know, I think that it, it, it would end up working its way out. Just like we had, we had said that, you know, and, and uh, you know, the ones that figure it out, maybe they win more championships. The ones that don't, well, maybe they'll be bloated and really average at six spots. I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I'm not on, you know, just mandating that at all um, for a lot of different reasons. Now, talk about uh, are, we, are we preparing the path of the player or the player for the path? Now, this is something I wrote an article on in 16. Um, and it, it got it got to a point, you know, in player development where I was just I was very trying to figure out the landscape. Right. And, you know, and, you know, obviously I've been around, seen some different things and I gave a bunch of examples on how all of a sudden it's like the teachers and the managers of the game have taken the game from the player. All right. And made them dependent upon us in order to continue to improve and move from level to level. Let me give you some example. I like, so we call, you know, I, I, we call them gurus. Gurus for me are, you know, those cage guys that, you know, they, they teach kids in cages um, and they do pitching hitting type lessons. And a lot has come out from this is, is that um, a lot of those guys are really swing doctors and, and, um, and arm or delivery doctors, I call them, right. As opposed to pitching coaches and, and hitting coaches, hitting and pitching are way different than swinging and throwing. Right. So we, we have become this um, swing delivery guy, the guru type thing. And it sounds very good when they talk. And But when you listen and you go, well, yeah, swinging is great, um, but can, can you teach him how to hit with what he does, right? And that's, that's the game. So 
when I was, I was in the off season, I used to work these camps for baseball factory. And uh, I remember having a conversation with a kid. I saw him in batting practice, virtually melt down and he couldn't get the ball out of the turtle. And this kid was about 14 or 15 years old. Good, good looking baseball player. Um, you know, and I, and so later on I saw him at lunch and I'm like, Hey man, you're, how you doing, man? Are you all right? And he, and I said, he goes, man, I, my batting practice was really bad today. And I said, well, what do you think you were doing? And, and he started talking to me about, uh, his, his hands, his, his feet, his elbow, all of, you know, he goes, I wasn't doing like these four things, you know, and, and I said, wow, you know, and I felt terrible for the kid. Right. So first of all, I know how he was getting coached. The second thing uh, that was, I said, well, look, I said, why don't you try this tomorrow in BP? You know, I'm going to throw BP. I want you to hit a, a line drive back at the L screen. All right. And don't think about anything other than that. You know, and the kid the next day, he started hitting line drives in the middle of the field. And we simplified. You know, all we did to remove the noise of the swing out of his head, give him an external focus and a task. And the body organized itself. And, he, and, and you know, there's nothing like a line drive back to the middle to help cure some things, right? Um, last I checked, it had to be a pretty good swing path to do that, right? In the, in the, in the, so anyway, that was one example where I was like, well, this is, you know, the coaches are, you know, just they're, they're giving, they're giving, they're giving. Uh, and, they, and they obviously are fixing, 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 uh, as opposed to letting the kid figure it out and problem solve on his own. And I think, you know, we we grew up in the natural selection age when bats and balls were out there. It was all about the game and tactician, you know, and, and the fundamentals, right? It was never about you swing or delivery, right? How to get outs and how to get hits, how to move runners and all that stuff, which is awesome. It's the game. Now, I will tell you this. There's a lot of benefit to that. That's a learning rich environment. We became better noticers for ourselves and better noticers of your teammates because your teammates were like, hey, you seen anything? And then you were practicing, you throwing each other in the cage, you were hitting each other ground balls. You guys were becoming your own best coaches because it was allowed to happen. Is that the best way? I don't know, right? Is it a better way? Well, if it's at the, if it's at the expense of, you know, creating these guys that can just eat fish and not know how to fish, yeah, it is, all right? So um, I, I am about, you know, the cream will always rise to the top, but I am all about player development helping guys make sense of what just happened, give them a nugget to maybe help them get to their next dot, whatever that dot is for him. I'm all in on all of that. Right. Um, but when it becomes, you're creating this dependent, you know, guy, we're just becoming like these GPS coaches. I, I let me give you, I got this story I, for five years. In my first five years of going down to the DR, I would ride with someone would pick me up. I don't know how many, trips to the to the academy from my hotel I made I don't know 100 I had hundreds right yeah so then I decide I'm going to I'm driving I'm I'm going to take it to the next I'm driving and I get lost my first trip <laughs> I had to retrace my steps get back to the hotel regroup I got a map a map not a gps awesome <laughs> and I found my way there and I was just along for the ride for five years, man. Right. Wow. No awareness. And, and again, and so, and then I, and then, and cause I never actually learned it. It wasn't my, I didn't make the trip. I was on along for the ride. And those are the kind of players that I'm afraid we're creating. Not good, real problem solving baseball players that can discern information on the field and know what they're doing and share intel on the bench and watch the game and, and, and understand it. 
um, as opposed to looking at an iPad, having it just hand fed to them. They're not, they, they're not problem solving. They're just being given dope. So that, that is, that is something I, you know, I am, I'm really, I'm working on this right now with my team. I'm trying to give them ownership of their game, their development with guidance. I've turned the cages over to them about 70%. I give them external focuses. I say the only mandatory cage I have is this, and uh, we're doing that. And even that cage is a self-discovery cage. It's throwing a ball up, hitting a fungo off the back panel. But it, the, the amount of self-discovery we've removed from the game, uh, that's a big deal of what I'm talking about. Are we really preparing the player here? Or are, we, are we just preparing the path for him? Um, and in my opinion, it, it's on so many levels that we're doing that for them. And I, I think that it, you know, we're in the process of becoming uh, tech dependent. When we have we have this human tech that's really good. My IDAR is really good. All right. My human soto is really good too. It is right? pretty good. Yeah. So I love when, that. When I when I when I need to back off and go, yeah, let's see. And so I'll, you know, I, I then I'll take a look and I, you know, I need it. It's about it, it's about the player. It's not about me and 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 uh and, and just giving him dope, right? So pitch calling is another one, right? They've yeah. removed that, right? Pitch calling, right? So when I was in the ACC coaching, we had Buster Posey, Matt Weeders, a couple of really good players, obviously, um, MVP types. And, um, you know, they were looking at their wristbands. Uh, they couldn't call pitches. They weren't smart enough. These guys were one and two in the draft that year, I do believe. Uh, uh, I, one, two or one, three. Um, you know, and they had to end up – they could have gone right to the big league. These guys were finished products skill-wise – but their IQ and pitch calling and game management wasn't because it was never allowed to grow. Um, that one jumps out at me. Um, like they had to go through the minor league system just to learn how to game plan and call pitches. Yeah. It's one of my read pet peeves. Read my, scoreboard. Yep. It's one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, uh, coaches calling the game, especially in high school and the develop, developmental levels. What you want to talk about lowering the bar. That might be one of the yes. biggest crimes uh, in, in the, the baseball developmental pathway right there. I, I'm just so against that turge. Oh, that resonates with me. I'm with you on that one. So the other, the other thing, and, and another reason why a lot of coaches, um, I do believe that they, they just are creating these consumers, you know, not problem solvers is that it's, and again, and I took, I look back at my coaching process and I never understood when I started managing how messy learning looks like it's you know learning is a very messy process right um you know and good training is generally pretty ugly and messy at times and as it cleans up you know you know that they're figuring things out right and i as a young manager being very concerned about a clean field especially when my bosses were you know watching um i i would you know i would be twisted up beyond belief you know if it wasn't just a clean work session and the reality of it is is that a clean work session means that they have all those problems solved already. They need more, you know, they need, they need more challenge. They need more, they need more, uh, uh, you know, whatever variability, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, however you want to talk about it. But I, I will tell you this, that, you know, once I understood, you know, learning and how we acquire skills and, and motor learning that really helped me grasp. Okay. And, and be able to understand how to create a, a learning rich environment, um, you know, and one that kind of prepares them for what the game demands. Right. right. 
as opposed to, you know, whatever this zoo zoo environment and going to try to perform in the jungle, which is so hard. Um, you know, um, the game, uh, I do believe that the game is the guru. Um, you know, that's a Stan Kyle's quote, a veteran pitching coach in our system for a number of years with the, with the pirates spent a lot of time in the big leagues. Um, the game is the guru. And as, as they experience the game, uh, to be able to teach off of that experience is a big deal. Um, that's how we're going to, you know, get them to be uh, baseball players slash pitchers. Um, and I, I do believe that, you know, Tom Prince, another, uh, good dear friend caught in big leagues, the backup for 15 years, I do believe, uh, he said, the game will teach you everything you need to know. Um, and, and, and that's, and now if you're a teacher, you have to recognize the moments and go ahead and teach, um, you know, but the two pieces of we're we're not preparing players is in the training, um, you know, and allowing the game to teach them at times. And I, I think the old excuse of, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I have, I'm going to get fired if we don't win. Um, would I've heard that at the college level and I, and I called pitches at some point too. Um, but I look back on it and I go, you know, it's so funny is that it's about pitch execution and, you know, the wrong pitch, you know, in the right spot is still going to produce outs and, uh, pitch calling is is very overrated, especially when guys can't command three pitches or command one pitch. Um, and I think I think um, you know I think it comes down to I, I had I heard this about a week ago. I was talking to Kyle Stark, our uh, former farm director and um, assistant GM of the Pirates, and you know, he, and he said, uh, you know, it's funny is that the coach, you know, coaches, younger coaches seem to be looking for the dopamine hit. Um, and in the end, you really want the, 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 the dopamine hit to go to the player because he just figures something out through, you know, his, the ownership of his game. And, you know, when he figures something out, that should be the hit. So who's chasing the dopamine here, right? Is it, you know, us that, that want to continually fix and help. It comes from a good place, Crush. It does. Yes. You know, Agreed. I, you know, guys are trying to help guys genuinely. Um, I do believe, um, yeah. you know, and then, you know, the, the other place it may come from is, you know, lack of confidence, insecure, trying to get validate and credibility with a player to show maybe they have, you know, they have all this knowledge. Right. So, um, but again, wherever it comes from, <coughs> I'm just not, I'm just really on trying to, give ownership uh, back to the player so that he's ready, you know, for the path, man, and, and the game and, and what it demands. It's yeah. a hard game. And, um, you know, hard is good in training. Um, and, you know, again, I, I never felt really good not studying for my algebra two test by doing one plus one equals two. It just never helped me. <laughs> right. Oh, I hear you. I hear you there, Turds. Oh, fantastic stuff. And, and you know, getting back to the, the pitch calling, hey, there, there is a place for pitch calling. I mean, there's, you know, you could call a pitch now and then, but but talk to your players sure. about why that pitch. And I worked with Amen. some great, I worked with some great pitching coaches. And, you know, in the minor leagues, especially, or even in the global development side, you know, Bill Holmberg was one of them. He would call some pitches, yeah. but... Uh, I said, Bill, why are you calling those pitches? I, I want to see if he can, he has a confidence. I want to give him the confidence, let him know that he can throw that pitch at this time because right. he's not there yet. Right. So leading them along that way. So that that's just pure. But again, you know, you talked earlier about the art of the game. Boy, oh boy, that's the art of coaching right there. And I'm getting goosebumps just as I say that. 
No, it's good, man. I the whole that whole concept is is really um, I don't know, man. I just I just think um, you know it's it's incredible. And and when we when I go back to the you know like the whole front flip phenomenon and the cages and you know I do believe that that came from you know guys that were doing lessons because they couldn't throw all the time. They started figuring out I do this front flip thing, and all of a sudden became a thing. Right. right. <laughs> and unfortunately, no one front flips to you in the game, you know, and it's really, you know, it doesn't happen. Right. So I, I always enjoy looking at training footage of like Ruth, Gehrig and Williams and these hitting things of BP. And when you watch them, you see this focus and intent to really hit. And they're so they're they're not you, you know, they're not worried about what their swing looks like. Um, and they're worried about getting a pitch to hit and putting a swing on it. And you know, it's from 60 feet, uh, cause you see the takes they're aggressive, you know, yes, yes, no kind of takes. So they were training to the truth a long time ago. And you know, the, 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 the cage phenomenon kind of somehow removed a lot of it. Now these cats might not have trained as much, but the, but the training they did there, were, they were way, way more skill acquisition going on in, in the reps they got. Okay, because they had to the the the, the you know th facing a pitcher who's throwing you know eighty to ninety miles an hour to get ready for the game is requires that. Oh. <laughs> so you know the more we coach, and again the more we coach the the style from them, and make, we make them more conscientious and judge every swing and and all that stuff, and, and instead of talking about hey get a good pitch to hit, make a good decision. But the more we, you know, it, we paralyze them. It's just noise. It's all, it's very much noise. Yeah, it truly, it truly is. I love that training to the truth. That is a golden nugget. No, no, that's a diamond. That's a diamond in the rough. Training to the truth, everybody. Dave Turton, listen to me. This has been a masterclass in the art of the game and in the art of coaching that we are going to share with absolutely everybody we can. Listen, I cannot tell you, and I know you. I say this to you all the time, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you and your, your approach with, in the developmental model, but player performance, but also your willingness to share all this great information with everybody. Turge, love it, my friend. Thank you so much for all of this today. All right, love you, Crush. Great talking with you, buddy. There you go, everybody. What an incredible performance conversation. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're involved in academics, maybe music, business, any sport on the planet. Yes, baseball is sort of the overlying theme here, but there are so many takeaways here. Even when we talk about the, the rule changes in baseball and how they impact the game, that talk about gameplay and the flow of the game, you could, you could have that conversation about any sport or the development of just humans in any endeavor. Ah, oh, such great stuff. I love this stuff. I'm so glad Dave could join us. I have to thank Dave Turgeon. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Please share this episode. If we're truly going to impact sport, it's got to be through sharing of ideas. And if this just gets us thinking along the right lines, well, mission accomplished, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that'll do it for this week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in once again. Now go get out there, have some fun, stay safe, and go get better. Talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. 
you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>